witness a lot of young men getting into rooms because they're prodigies and a lot of young women being told like, man, you have a lot of promise. I can't wait to see what you do in 15 years. And it's like, well, why do I have to wait 15 years? You know, like, um, you know, and I'm too old for all the parts. Yeah. Yeah. Hello and welcome to episode seven of find your light, the podcast that helps women in theater take center stage in lives they love. I'm your host and arts prioritizer extraordinaire, Emily Stamets. One thing that came up in the conversation you're about to hear is the idea that theater is expensive. Now, something you should know about me is I'm really passionate about the relationship that artists have with money. I'm sure we'll get to the starving artist fetish and my feelings on charging what you're worth, not just what you need to survive in later episodes, but let's start here for today. Theater folks need to stop perpetuating the myth that theater is expensive. I have three solid reasons why, and please plug these into your brain for the next time you hear someone spew that bullshit line about the price of theater tickets. Reason number one, if we don't advocate for the value, monetary and otherwise, of what we do, no one else will. If theater people walk around saying that theater is too expensive, so will grantors, investors, and audiences. Number two, expensive is relative. What one person feels is expensive comes from a complicated algorithm with factors like how you grew up, what's in your bank account today, and what your spending priorities are. Instead of saying theater is too expensive, try saying theater isn't a financial priority for me and see how true that rings for you. If it feels true, great, you're right, that ticket is too expensive for you. But if saying theater isn't a priority for me right now feels icky or gross, then you know that there's some wiggle room somewhere to rearrange things and make sure that getting those tickets is a priority. Number three. What we say becomes reality. Now, I know that sounds really hippy-dippy, so let me bring it down into actual reality with a specific example, which is me. Now, I grew up on the secure side of the poverty line. I always had a roof over my head, and I always had food on the table, although sometimes those things... The school district that I attended was in a fairly wealthy college town. I always was pretty much aware that the kids I was in classes with had more money and access to nice things than I did. So when I grew up hearing that theater was expensive, I knew that if theater was expensive for the kids I was going to school with, there was no way in hell that my family would be able to afford it. So I always assumed that shows were out of my league because that's what everyone said. Theater is expensive. It never even occurred to me to open up the yellow pages because that's how old I am uh, and call up a few theaters to find out how much tickets were because my reality had already been formed by other people's belief that theater was expensive. Had I been able to avoid that quote unquote reality, I might've found out that I could save my $10 a week weekly allowance for two weeks to see a show at the local community college. I could have saved for four to six weeks and gotten a student ticket at a professional theater. See, the actual reality is that theater was within my grasp, but my espoused and adopted reality was that theater was too expensive. 
How much cooler would my life have been if I hadn't swallowed the nonsense that theater was too expensive for me? Answer, it would have been way cooler. I could have seen so many shows. The bottom line is we all need to stop it. We need to stop saying that theater is expensive. We need to stop letting other people say it. Not only is it not true, because theater, like everything else in the world, costs what it costs, but letting that belief permeate our creative sphere is harmful to our work, harmful to our earnings, and incredibly harmful to how other people perceive and value what we do. All right. Let me tell you about who I'm chatting with today. This podcast contains my first ever duet interview or trio interview or whatever you call it when it's me talking to two people at a time. I'm chatting with Rosie Glenn Lambert and Veronica Chu, who are both founding members of the Attic Collective. Rosie is the artistic director and founder of the Attic Collective, and she also serves as the literary manager at Inkwell Theater. She's collaborated as a director and a producer with a bunch of theaters in Los Angeles, including Sacred Fools, Inkwell Theater, Theater Planners, The Bootleg, Son of Semele, Occidental College, ton of stuff. Rosie's returning to the Hollywood Fringe Festival this year to direct The Last Croissant. Her last Fringe project, Dead Dog's Bone, a birthday play, won the 2015 Encore Producers Award and earned her a nomination for Best Direction. Veronica Chu received a master's in arts and theater arts from UC Santa Cruz. She's an actor, a sewist, and a playwright. Her first work, Dead Dog's Bone, a birthday play, which you just heard about via Rosie's uh, bio, uh, that play won the Dharma Grace Award in 2012, the Hollywood Friend Encore Producers Award in 2015, and made its East Coast debut at New SAS in DC this March. Her plays have had readings and full productions in Los Angeles, Santa Cruz, San Francisco, Seattle, and Washington, DC. These ladies are incredibly um, accomplished and also a little bit younger than me, which is really inspiring, Iowa. Their current project, The Last Croissant, is playing at the Hollywood Fringe Festival from June 6th through June 27th. So be sure to check that out and get yourself some tickets if you like what you hear today. Now, I do have to say, getting into this interview, this is, like I mentioned before, the first time I've interviewed two people at the same time. And I admit that I'm not so great at always um, identifying whom I'm speaking with at the time. I apologize for that. If you need clarification on who said what, please feel free to email me, reach out, and I like give me a timestamp on approximately what minute it is and what, what they were talking about. And I can totally tell you who said which thing. All right, here we go. Veronica and Rosie, Rosie and Veronica and Joey. Um, thank you so much. And me, um, thank you so much for your time this morning and for um, popping in to share your experience and your journey with the Attic Collective. Um, let's start with that. Let's start with how did you guys start working together? How did the Attic Collective come into being? Um, what is the purpose of it? Give us the sort of journey. Yeah. Um, so Veronica and I um, went to school together. We went to UC Santa Cruz. And we both majored in theater there. Um, and uh, the, the the kind of origin of the company was sort of, a, I, I guess, like a thirst for experimentation and for uh, kind of working, uh, you know, because, you know, theater in college is great because there's so many resources and you learn from obviously your professors. But I think that um, at the time there was just this like excitement for uh, getting to work um, 
you know, with your peers and like trying new things. So the first show we actually ever did, it was in 2013 in an attic, which is where that comes from. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Was it like a theater attic or was it like the attic of a private? Oh, no, no, no. Oh, it was oh okay. <laughs> it was the attic of my house. And awesome. uh, okay. we, I literally, uh, I, I, I had to call a friend and ask him how many people could safely sit in my attic. Um, <laughs> and I had stress dreams that whole week about the attic caving in and everyone dying. No one did. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but that was like, that was kind of the origin. And then we all moved out to Los Angeles, a big group of us. And we, you know, started making other connections um, with people who didn't go to school with us and also there are people who had. And um, we kind of like found this group of people who were excited about working on new theater and experimental theater and uh, devised theater because that's a big part of what we do. Um, and we did, we actually, the first project we did in Los Angeles was Veronica's uh, first play, which is Dead Down to a Birthday Play. Which is- yeah. So Veronica, tell us a little bit about that because this is like an award-winning, like super produced, like talk to us about it. <laughs> Yeah, so it happens to be the first play that I ever wrote, um, which was in college. Um, And tell us the name of it again. Dead Dog's Bone, a birthday play. Perfect. Yeah, and uh, it's a non-linear kind of collage-esque like collection of of moments within a family over over several years. And you kind of, through the progression of it, piece together kind of the story. Um, But there's, you know, some clowning elements, um, some magical realism, which is kind of my trademark. Um, and just some existentialism, which is also my go-to. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's the first play that I wrote in college at the kind of um, urging of my professors, because previously I had just been um, primarily a performer, and Rosie and I were on an improv team together, and um, but they're like, I think you should uh, keep going with this, and I wrote it, and uh, Rosie's a couple of years younger than me, and when you moved down to LA, you decided to produce it um, for the Hollywood Fringe, and it uh, went very well. Yeah, yeah, it did. Um, and it was a really good way, I think, for us to start our company down here in a new context because um, it, it's just, it's a really sturdy play. And as Veronica mentioned, it has elements of clowning and magical realism. And again, that's uh, that's that's a big part of what our company does too. Um, it's kind of like uh, feeling, what does our mission statement say? Unbound <laughs> by the rules of reality. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, yeah, I, I was, um, that, that project did very well. And Awesome. And what has happened since then? Um, well, we've done, what is it now? We've done two, two. Other, <laughs> two other projects and we're in the midst of a, a, a third at the moment. So our two okay. other projects were both devised pieces. So those mm-hmm. were things that we created as a group. Um, it's one of them, the process was only three months before we put it up. I think the other one was a slightly longer, but still kind of... It's really fast. It is. It's yeah. a super fast turnaround. From going with nothing and writing <laughs> almost completely collaboratively. Yeah. Um, a group of, well, like five to 15. <laughs> <laughs> was that, um, that sort of condensed timeline, was that by choice or was that, were there like logistical factors at play? Definitely logistical factors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we um, are are we 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 actually got to do both of the times that we've done our pieces. We've I, we were either accepted into like a festival or we were invited to come to come do that. Um, so you know we had a date that we were working towards, which um, is kind of unusual unusual for devised work. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I feel like in some ways we work well on a deadline. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. If I don't. <laughs> 
I personally, if I don't have a deadline, then nothing gets done. Like I need that. So I think it's great. Do you guys have any plans to go back to those works and revisit them or are they just done? Okay. No. Yeah. Um, one in particular, the last one that we did, um, is called, um, I decided I'm fine. A roach play. Can we say it again? What is it? <laughs> They're all really long. Uh, I love it. What is it? Uh, I decided I'm fine. Colon a roach play. Like Perfect. Talk. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that one was um, uh, kind of the seed for that one was we wanted to explore uh, porting and um, mm-hmm. outside of this kind of like radicalized. Um, what's the term that I'm looking for? Sensationalized. Sensationalized. Um, thing that we usually see it as in in our culture and instead look at like the personal lives of people who experience this and what it means and how common it is and mm-hmm. and why it happens and um and so yeah that's the yeah. last play that we did which we were super proud of but we also want to revisit because we think it's um, a strong enough piece that we could potentially let other companies take it on as a script yeah. and produce it and, and i love that I love that topic too, because that's something that has touched probably everyone I know. Um, and I don't know of anyone who's done, like this yeah. is the first art piece I've heard that really is approaching that, that isn't like reality TV, you know? Yeah, or like, look how gross these people are. Yeah, or, you know. yeah. yeah. Well, kind of like, uh, I don't know, I, I, I feel like that show afterwards, we had, we had a lot of people come up to us and be like, I didn't even know that I was a hoarder or my mom was a hoarder. <laughs> My grandma was a hoarder, but like now I'm wondering if that's what it was. Uh, but we, it, the whole point of that piece was to really treat the topic with a lot of empathy, which I think mm-hmm. we were successful in. Um, so yeah, that's we have, we're, we're planning on coming back. We're, we're in the process of looking at that script and working on it more, and we're planning on coming back to that within the next year with yeah. the same team or with a new team to redevelop it. I'm just um, curious about the process. Up for debate. I mean, because our company is growing a little bit and we uh, don't want to tie people to certain roles, mm-hmm. but at the same time, um, because we've kind of originated it together, I think a lot of us will, will still be here, but we also have new faces or people who were busy doing other projects at the time. And it's good to have people who we know and whose like artistic vision we are very much aligned with, but who have like a little bit more like space and perspective mm-hmm. on it. Yeah, and I mean, like, I feel like our whole company, no matter what, is going to be a part of the creation of the piece. It's really more a question of, like, you know, Veronica played um, a character in that show, and it's I, she did a wonderful job, and it's highly likely that she'll do it next time. But I think it's more like we are looking at that piece as something we created together, and then we'll see who ends up playing the roles. When yeah, we- absolutely. So describe the um, the structure of your company. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, there are gosh I want to say there are 16 of us now 15 there are 15 of us thanks Joey (laughs) (laughs) we have we're uh, we're a group of people um, we're not just actors it's a variety of different theater practitioners we have um, you know Joey is our lighting designer um, for um, all of our projects Uh, we've got our Rebecca Carr who is our uh, costume designer and also props designer sometimes and 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 then Lex and uh, our production and, manager yeah and our production manager uh, so we've, we've got a, like kind of a, a group of people who really are just technicians um, and that's their not that's, well not ju- I didn't mean there's so much more to us there's so much more but but I but I mean when you say just you mean like that's their primary role I mean, right yeah, like yeah, that's, that's what they do yeah I get it. <laughs> 
not as, uh, you know, so we're, we are, I would say we're a design heavy company. So we, we've got, um, sort of dedicated designers in addition to, um, you know, a group of actors. So I myself am not an actor. I'm a director, mm-hmm. we've got writers. Um, and we all kind of, uh, we meet up, uh, we have monthly meetings. Um, we do monthly workshops where we sharpen our skills as a group. And then once every three months, we offer a workshop that's open to the public, which is an opportunity for. That's cool. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, which is an opportunity for people who um, are kind of looking for an opportunity to sharpen their skills. But or to play and to explore, which mm-hmm. I think yeah. are about process. And yeah. are there, is that workshop like on the devising process? Like what is, what are the workshops? Is it the same workshop every three months? Tell me about the workshops. <laughs> uh, it kind of depends. It's really like whatever skill we feel like sharpening um, at the time. So we've done, um, one of our company members is a professional, some professional fencer. So she led a fencing workshop one no month. No big deal. <laughs> uh, no big deal. Uh, we're, uh, we're talking about doing a meditation workshop soon. Um, I led a storytelling workshop that was then that was a book focused on our devising process. One of our company members led a viewpoints workshop in the park and we all <laughs> did viewpoints. Yeah. Um, so it kind of depends. It's not necessarily like always the same um, skill, but, but it is, it is like, again, because we're a company of not just actors, but of also um, of designers and, you know, et cetera. We, uh, those, those workshops aren't just about like a collection of actors getting together. Like mm-hmm. we, all of our designers come to those workshops and it's actually very, very exciting to watch, um, you know, that diverse group of theater practitioners working together and like sharpening their skills together, which mm-hmm. is what yeah. I love about that. Me too. I'd say one of the, the, the special things about our company is that like design is so like integral to our whole process and like doesn't just come in at the end. A lot of our designers come to rehearsals pretty frequently and then it's it's a real back and forth between like, oh, do you think you guys could do like, I could build something like this if that's interesting and then we'll like work that into the, our whole thing. So it's it definitely feels really collaborative, not just from like the acting, writing, directing standpoint, but like design is like Mm-hmm. A huge part of what we, part of what we do. Yeah. Yeah. So huge. Um, sort of looking for like recommendation to incorporate your designers as early as possible. Because I also used to work with a nonprofit company that was very design oriented, and you know the designers and we had like a couple performers who were company members, but mostly it was designers. Um, and we, and the designers were the ones who developed the shows and did all the devising process. We would like bring in outside actors to do it. But because of that, our shows were, like you said, like the design is integrated into it. Like you can make it work for the show and they support one another. And as a designer, that's like way more interesting. So to everyone who's listening out there, (laughs) if you are doing theater in any capacity, please, please, please bring in your designers as early as possible, especially if you're devising. Do it. Designers are also creators. Like we like to be part of the full process. I'm sure that there's someone out there who's like, just give me a script and I just want to like put some stuff up. But most of us, I think really love the process. I totally agree. And especially for a process like devising where we're really creating a world together. And especially because our, our, our things tend to be more on the spectrum of magical realism or like weirdness and like really having specificity and like knowing the laws of the universe and what things mean and the the symbology of, of, of everything and making sure we're all speaking the same language and like contributing to it and making it intricate and detailed yeah. and full. 
Yeah. And I don't know how you guys work specifically, um, but with the company that I was with, we had very specific rules of the world. And it would be Mm -hmm. like, this is exactly when a character is a puppet and this is when a character is a live actor. Or like, this is when this thing happens. (laughs) And it's real, like you need that. But if you don't have your puppet designer in the room to help like realize that and create that rule and figure out like how it all works, then you're probably just gonna have to have that conversation again and again once you have the, your designers in the room. So you might as well just put them in the room from the beginning. That's yeah. what I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, so give us a snapshot of what you're doing now. I know that you're in the middle of getting ready for Hollywood Fringe. This interview is taking place on May 6th, 2019. So give us a snapshot of what it looks like today, Monday, May 6th, 2019. Uh, yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> um, so the project we're working on right now is uh, a, another play that Veronica wrote. Um, I think you're frozen. Am I frozen? No, okay. <laughs> I was just listening very intently. <laughs> um, yeah, it's another project that Veronica wrote um, called The Last Croissant. We have been rehearsing. Well, so we, we did a workshop of it where uh, with Inkwell Theater, which um, is a theater that I'm the literary manager at. So we have a relationship with that theater. Great. Um, and that's a new works theater um, that develops new plays and pushes them a little further along. So we did a workshop there um, where we developed uh, the play a little further. And do you want to talk a little bit about like where it came from? Sure. Yeah. I mean, this was a play that, again, <laughs> like I wrote it about seven years ago, mm-hmm. um, but Rosie wanted to pick it back up and uh, it's, it's, needed, it's needed a lot of work, but um, it's, I, again, as somebody needs a deadline, it's been really great. And as somebody, Rosie has an incredible eye um, and ear and I mean, Thank you. Brain. Um, but, like, it's really good to have insight and also a whole team of, of our designers, our whole company, like coming together and like, we love this, but like also what does this mean? And, and pushing things and um, casting it early in February and then doing a workshop reading of it. And there's been, I don't know, maybe like 10 or 11 drafts since mm-hmm. then of it, doing changes and especially, you know, having actors really take the roles and, and, and run with them. And it's, it's, a, it's a weird play. It's um, kind of a send up of the old stock farces, um, playing with gender identity and gender performativi- performativity. Um, and also it's, so it's a lot of like heightened language, um, character, like just huge big characters, um, outlandish circumstances. Um, but uh, yeah, so really fun, but also with some kind of darker existential themes. Um, and, uh, so yeah, we've been, um, exploring it for a long time, knowing that like Hollywood fringe was our goal and we wanted to come to it with like the strongest version of the script possible, which we kind of just nailed down last week. (laughs) (laughs) And when is the festival? How long, how many days are we counting down yet? Uh, we've been counting down since January. One month, (laughs) one month till opening because it's okay. Yeah. Awesome. Never thought about it that way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, we, we open on June 6th. That's our first show. We run for seven performances throughout the month of June. Our last performance is June 27th, but I believe the festival has performances till the 30th. So okay. pretty squarely like the full month of June. Awesome. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What? Oh, what is Joey saying? Well, he's saying that you can find out more on our website. Oh, perfect. Um, you can find out. Well, we'll talk about that at the end. That's yeah, exactly. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, in terms, in terms of our like what we're doing, for instance, yesterday morning we had our company meeting, 
um, where we talk about kind of larger things within our company workshops and um, we have several committees of, like we're trying to figure out the rest of our season as well um, and then we had a production meeting for this show um, with just kind of like the the main production team the crew, <laughs> the crew um, and which involved a lot of like stuffing of envelopes for kickstarter rewards yeah. and that type of thing and uh <laughs> I went home and made like a million. There's like, we have a lot of uh, paper cranes as props for this show. So I just kind of went home and ran lines and. I sat in my bathtub and scheduled. <laughs> and scheduled. We've <laughs> <laughs> so got a, a cast of nine, um, plus our design team, plus our stage manager. So plus technical director. Um, yeah, we've got a, we've got a, like we, one of the funniest, yeah, I mean, cause I think the fringe is a lot of, a lot, oftentimes is like smaller groups of people, kind of like one man shows that, that mm-hmm. kind of um we get a lot of funny reactions when we walk in with like, <laughs> with like 18 people yeah <laughs> <laughs> but uh but I mean it's, it's kind of like I don't know I I think that the fringe is a really really cool uh thing that we have in Los Angeles and I I think it's uh I, you know not everyone but I think occasionally it's kind of written off in this way like oh it's the fringe like as if good work could never possibly happen there or mm. like as if as if you know it's not uh, important to try or as if like there's for some, it's some, it's for some reason not like held to the same uh, standard in certain people's eyes. But I think that that's bullshit. Uh, and, I, and I think that um, I I've seen great work done in the fringe. And I think that it's all about, um, you know, the way that you treat it and, you know, kind of the um, seriousness that you give to it. And obviously uh, I, I think we, we, we did a, the fringe in 2015 we haven't been back since so it's been four years um and we really wanted to like come back and mm-hmm. uh, you know really like reap what i believe the fringe uh is capable of and like mm-hmm. what you could do with those constraints so um we're having a great time <laughs> <laughs> awesome good it sounds for and you're like super in the thick of it at this point right because you're just a month out that's really exciting mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, w- I have also done the fringe, so I know that like, it's always like, Oh, just a little, cause you never really know exactly what you're walking into or like who was in the space right before you. And like, yeah. there's yeah. so many question marks, but that is sort of really exciting and fun. Mm-hmm. Um, what I just, I don't know. I had a conversation with, um, a guest just last week that we were talking about devised work. And I was saying like every, almost every single person I've interviewed has been like, yeah, devised work is my jam. And I'm like, how come theater artists are doing so much devised work? And like, that's what we're passionate about, but what is mainstream and what is like recognized and what is sort of like honored is scripted stuff that's been done. Like they're doing a uh, Virginia Wolf on Broadway again. Like why? Right. Yeah. Like when, when, what we do are doing as artists is like new and exciting and experimental. So what is that about? What do you guys think? It's hard to sell something that people aren't familiar with and ticket prices are so expensive that I think you're like, well, if I'm going to spend this amount of money on an evening, I want to know a little bit about what I'm getting into. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like trying to support a new theater company that you know nothing about is, is kind of a gamble. It's a gamble that I enjoy taking, but mm-hmm. I mean, out of, you know, I think, I think a lot of people that support, <laughs> I think a lot of people that support devised work are other theater artists because we understand the amount of work and collaboration and coordination that it takes to do that. But um, it, it is hard to get people who 
don't see theater to see theater, period, let alone something that they haven't heard of before that they don't know is going to be any good. Yeah, that being said, though, I, my, my, the thing I've noticed with the, with devised work and kind of like with the work that we've done as a company, one of the things that I think we've excelled at is getting young people and people who aren't typically interested in theater, Mm -hmm. somehow wrangling them into getting into a seat, but then like kind of uh, flipping their idea of what theater is. Um, and I, and I, I don't think that that's exclusively a product of devised theater. I obviously like, I love, you know, scripted theater as well, but I do think that, um, the impetus to like take on devised theater, I think often comes from this kind of like frustration for like the scripts that do exist Mm -hmm. and the things that do have name recognition. And like, let's just say it out loud now, like the kind of parts that are available for Mm -hmm. people. And, you know, like, I think that uh, devised theater is kind of an opportunity to be like, uh, here's a group of people and we can make fucking anything, (laughs) you know, like we can make anything and we can look at the people who we have and we can like, so you do this one really cool, weird thing and we want to showcase it or like, yeah, bring out the, the best in what everyone has to offer. Mm-hmm. And, that you know, instead of trying to squeeze what you can do into a part and make it well, it's like, this is what I bring that's weird and interesting. And you're like, well, let's do something with it. Mm-hmm. Well, and then that's it's like, exciting. and people, I think people who like attend those shows can feel how, like feel the energy of the people doing it, like feel that they're excited about it and feel that, um, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I think it tends to speak to people in a different way, especially people who are daunted by, you know, the perceived elitism of the American theater, which theater is not supposed to be elite. No, not um, at all. Especially in America, it shouldn't be. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yada, yada. Um, I think one of my favorite things is like, I will happily go to a show. And like, my favorite thing is that it has a huge potential to be just a complete shit show. Like, I love that. I love walking into a space and being like, I have no idea. Like, this is either going to be fantastic or it's going to be laughably great. Like, it's one yeah. of those things in either way, it's going to be a great evening of entertainment. So, well, that's, that's the value of live theater is that like anything could go wrong ever. And, you know, the and it does. And it does. <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, like in our last in our last show um, in, in in Roach Play, we like literally had a person. We will Veronica and one of our actors, Tyler, were like playing Jenga on stage, and it wasn't supposed to topple until <laughs> the end of the scene. <laughs> okay, <it> okay. <laughs> I feel like you guys were like setting yourselves up there for. I was so st- I literally sat in the audience every night just and and I would tell Tyler I'd be like please pick easy pieces. Like, please pick easy pieces. And he would be like, no, it's more fun. <laughs> foundational pieces and see what happens. It would be wobbling. And just but, swaying back and forth. But the payoff, like yeah, you could so feel the audience like holding their breath, that whole scene, like stressed with us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, and that's the, the subtext of that scene was that they were a couple who were, you know, mm-hmm. um, having relationship issues. And, uh, just like the audience's like tension as they watched this like Jenga tower, like maybe fall. And then the payoff of like it falling at the time we planned, even though there was like always the danger of it falling earlier. And we had like a contingency plan. In case it, <laughs> it wasn't great. It was not great. Uh, I mean, it never, it never fell early, but it's like that, that's the kind of, you can't get that in film. In film, yeah. you watch it and you're like, well, I mean, it's Obviously. not going to fall early because they would take another day. So yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Veronica, can I challenge you on something that you said? Sure. You said that tickets are expensive. Or that can be. 
they can be, but I, I want to challenge that because even if like, okay, what is it? Um, the, uh, the cursed child, right. Right now on Broadway, if you go see both shows, you're looking at like probably 800 bucks ish. Right. But I feel like what you get out of that, I mean, obviously if you don't have $800, you should not go see that show. Like don't, don't do it. Don't break your bank for it. But I think that what we, the value we get out of theater is so far and above anything, like any monetary cost, like value, um, it's like above and beyond numbers. Oh, and even if you just break it down hour, and I know that you, and you're, I, yeah. So I was just saying like breaking it down by hours. Like my husband worked at Disney for 15 years, right? Those tickets are like 120, 140 bucks a day. And if you break it down by hour, like if I, even if I'm paying 40 bucks to go see like a community theater show, which here ours are like closer to 25. But again, I live in like VFE. Um, break it down by hour and it's like way cheaper than a day at Disney, right? Or like hour by hour. And then, so it's not only like the two hour, two and a half hour show, 90 minutes, hopefully that's always the best, the sweet spot for me. Um, But then I also get like an hour of conversation out of it at least, right? I don't know. Years of, hopefully, I mean, for me, I'm still thinking about shows I've seen years ago. Yeah. It definitely feeds me. I definitely think it's worth it. But in terms of people who can can't afford to see it and that's mm-hmm. kind of troubling for me and that like I want to try and make theater as accessible as possible yeah. while you know paying people what they what they deserve and what mm-hmm. they own you know to make their art well and, and I mean this is like sort of a lofty statement but here we are um I <laughs> I, I kind of feel like um the 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 way to make theater more accessible is for um our government um to to value it more, (laughs) you know, because it's kind of like, like with anything, um, when you put it on the individual person, um, that, that's, that's more challenging than if we take like an institutional, um, look at like the value of art. Um, because I, because there are people who, even, you know, like, like wouldn't be buying that Disney ticket anyways, you know what I mean? So it's like getting those people, um, access to theater and like the, and getting giving them this like stability of like theater is for me I think is like so important and I think that like um, funding the arts on an institutional level um, to, to me is like the is the access point into that because I think that there are people who can afford theater and I encourage those people to like go afford theater like and, mm-hmm. and one of my <laughs> one of my uh, like uh, what are, the, what are you going to do? News resolutions uh, <laughs> that over like for the past two years has been to like pay for my friend's art when I can, you know, and to not ask for comps and to just, you know, be like, I'm going to go see your show and please come see mine, you know, um, and to fund art on a, you know, personal level. Yeah. But I think that like institutionally, I don't know who's listening to me here. Who can make this <laughs> Dear NEA, <laughs> give us more money. <laughs> Um, I just think that we need to be careful about the language that we use around it. And I think every time we say the words theater is expensive, we're just like buying back into that, that it doesn't have to be a reality because Mm -hmm. like, I know that I'm, I'm very privileged and that I have always had a roof over my head and I've always had food on the table. Um, but there have been times when that was really shaky. Um, and especially like in my early adulthood, um, I still like, I could have, I could have gotten set, like I could have worked my budget. So I had 17 bucks to go see the local show, right. Or to go see something at fringe or whatever. Um, I know that that's not always possible and that that is definitely a privilege that I do carry, but I think that like, there's so many people who 
the numbers in their head about like, oh, I wish I could go see theater, but I can't because it's too expensive. And I think the numbers in their head are like inflated because they've never actually looked at it. So we need to just stop saying, I think I've stopped saying that theater is expensive um, because it can be, but it is not usually, like it's not usually <clears throat> it's not usually going to like push you into poverty. Oh, you're right. Oh, sorry. Did I break up? Hi. Hello. Hello. Oh, darn yeah, it. Am I here? Am I here now? Am I here now? Okay. Um, so I was just yeah. saying that, like, yeah. Okay. Perfect. So like usually like there are ways to see shows that are not going to push you into poverty. Um, there are ways to see shows for free. I've never worked with a company that wouldn't have been like, if someone was like, Hey, I'm a student or Hey, like I, I'm super poor, but I really want to come see your show. They would have found a way, right? So there's, it's always possible to see theater. Um, and I think that artists do try to really make it accessible. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so I just, I'm just sort of challenging that as a reality. Every time we say it, it like sounds more real. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Well, I think, I mean, I think that the, like, it's, it's, I think it's both things at the same time. It's like, A, we, sh we need to like, reframe what we think is valuable and like where our money mm -hmm. goes we also need to like acknowledge um I guess uh the the way in which uh hmm, like the 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 way the things that we can do the th you know the theater uh the the way that we as theater practitioners can make our work more affordable for people while simultaneously on an individual level being like you know I, if I would, can spend $17 to go see a movie, I can spend $20 to go see a play. Yeah. Um, so I, th I think it's both things at the same time. Um, yeah. And it's, it's obviously a very personal thing and it differs from person to person. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think there's a difference between like small local theater companies you know, like we're charging like 10 bucks for general for our Eight fringe, fringe, fringe participants. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and, and things that like your bigger work houses that, you know, even the space itself can feel like certain bodies are not welcome there. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and trying to make things not only like financially accessible, but also um, emotionally accessible. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And inclusive, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, and even like, even sometimes when you see where uh, certain budgetary decisions go uh, on, on, on a larger scale, sometimes you're like, oh, that was so much money on something that, you know, uh, maybe that money uh, on another mammoth show. No, or, 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 I don't know. Like I've seen individual productions where they drive a car on stage and I'm like, you know what? That wouldn't happen for two seconds. It didn't really matter. You could have lowered your ticket <laughs> Yeah. Hired another <laughs> artist or hired another artist for yeah yeah um paid wardrobe more yeah paid wardrobe yeah, right. more yeah <laughs> I do appreciate what you said too Rosie about um like paying to see your friend shows I think that mm -hmm. is something that if you are able again like we don't all always have that twenty bucks I mm -hmm. totally yeah. recognize that and I've absolutely been there too um but when we can mm -hmm. paying for art what that does is it starts to re-legitimize and refinance our mm. own art. It, like yeah. it will always circle around. Um, and every time you're like, you go to a friend and you're like, oh, I really want to see your show, but it's not worth paying for it. Like, what are you doing then to the value of their work and the value of like art in general? So yeah, yeah. keep paying for it. Especially like, oh, it kind of drives me crazy when people are like, oh, like I don't get paid enough or like there's no living wage in art. And then they, they're the ones who are like asking for comp tickets and like trying to... Anyway, yeah. yeah, that kind of trip. it's it's like a circle that we can very incrementally, I believe, shift 
and start to yeah. cycle the other way, right? Yeah. Okay. Soapbox done. <laughs> Thanks for indulging me in that. <laughs> All right, you guys. So tell me a vivid memory or tell everyone who's listening a vivid memory that you have of the theater. I don't know if there's one that you guys share or if you have separate ones. I don't oh, know how this works. You. <laughs> You're like, we have the same brain. <laughs> um, I was wondering, do you mean like, uh, like of a moment of theater that we were involved in or something we witnessed or either or both? Either. Um, what I love to hear is kind of the first thing that popped into your head when I asked. Mm. Mm. I have a good one and an embarrassing one. <laughs> oh, the embarrassing one, the embarrassing one. No, I'm kidding. Uh, the embarrassing one is definitely that when I was like six years old, we were on some family trip and my family went to see a production of Paint Your Wagon at like a community theater that like probably doesn't exist anymore. Uh, and uh, it was like a 50 person ensemble and there was one guy in the back who was really just giving it his all. And I was like very enamored with him. Like he was not <laughs> the lead uh, and he had no lines. And I was wearing like a pair of red pants and a hat and I like stage doored him. And like, <laughs> <laughs> like asked for an autograph and he's like definitely a dentist now. Like, I don't think he's <laughs> but like I think that I'm sh- like I, I can't imagine he doesn't remember that and he was so surprised he like looked around and my mom was like standing there like terribly amused but like let me do it um that's my embarrassing story that is I liked he really committed he committed he committed he danced and you know what like you know I I have I've always valued people who commit uh and I don't know if you know who you if you're listening to this man from Major Mike I tried to track him down a couple years ago uh, I don't think I'll ever find him but if you're if this is you please uh contact me out in Venice you're probably too old for me bro uh, <laughs> oh man um all right I'm gonna give you some options okay I'm excited uh, one is like a moment that from, from when I was working wardrobe. Um, one is just like a moment of theater that I saw that like I still think about all the time. Um, those are your options. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm going to go with the wardrobe. The wardrobe? Yeah. Okay. So I was working, um, yeah, I was working wardrobe for a production of Jesus Christ Superstar um, in, in Santa Cruz. And uh, <laughs> we went pretty hard with the blood. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> and uh, so, so our Jesus had this like lin- silk linen ensemble. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he looked very Jedi esque. Um, it was a good look for him. But uh, so we had these um, uh, velcroed seams in the back. So for when he was whipped, they would rip it off on supposedly on the velcro seams. <laughs> Of course, inevitably, in the heat of the moment, it could always shred into the fabric, and which oh, was no. thin silk, like very frayy, like white that I always needed to end up scrubbing all of the stage blood out of. And we had two shows this day, and it was just like every day I would spend two to three hours scrubbing out this blood because it had to look like perfect, mm-hmm. and also because it would shred into the fabric. I would need to like sew up where it shredded in the hopes that it wouldn't shred in the exact same space. Again, biblical. It was. (laughs) (laughs) This was my craft today. Um, So, but, so, I'm, uh, so I had just spent the whole morning um, 
scrubbing and drying and sewing this costume, as well as other things. There were a lot of crotches that were split on this particular production. She oh, okay, interesting. Um, but uh, so I was, I, I decided to sit in for the matinee because I hadn't seen the show since the beginning of the run. And, uh, and it was a two show day, so I was going to be there anyhow. So I, I sat in and um, for the, <laughs> the scene where, where they rip it, I was just kind of like, please don't, please don't do it. Don't do it again. And I could like hear it. I could like, just from the way the light caught it, I was like, oh, oh yeah, that's going to be a bad one. Oh, no. And I was so tired. <laughs> and I just like started to cry. <laughs> and this woman next to me who was like, literally clutching a rosary was just like it's beautiful <laughs> it's like this moment is so touching just like it's okay it's just the theater <laughs> it's just like the, the like and she was like also crying she was, she was, she was so moved by the moment and like our you know our, our cast is phenomenal or Jesus had like this gorgeous voice that I still like think about um but uh it was, it was just interesting because I was like, I'm so glad she's moved. That means our production is doing well. Yes. You know, our cast is killing it. We're close to the end of the run. But like, I'm also to me. the costume again. <laughs> I know, like what it means. And it just like, it's like, it holds all of the things about theater, which is like how beautiful it can be, how much it means, and also how silly and ridiculous it is. Yeah. And, how it <laughs> oh, yeah. and how tedious sometimes, really. Yeah, it can um, be. I just love that she comforted you. Like, how sweet is that? That she's to a stranger, she was like, Yes, we're in this together. <laughs> like clutching her rosary. <laughs> Love it. That's amazing. <laughs> All right, you guys, what is the most important lesson that you have learned in the theater? Ooh. Okay. Okay. Mine's first. <laughs> uh, it's super cliche, but it's like really at the end of the day, it, it is the biggest lesson is just, it's, it's teamwork, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like I, I feel like, um, I feel like every moment where things get really, really tough when you're working on theater in any capacity, the biggest relief and joy is always like, oh, but I'm working with other people. Um, and, and kind of uh, the, the, the lesson that you like can't do it all by yourself ever anywhere <laughs> um, really is profound, I think, when you're doing theater and just, um, you know, those moments of like, you know, everything is on my shoulders and it will all fall apart and me, 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 me. And then the moment of like realization that that's just not true um, in, in the theater room, but also, you know, like in life, I really think that, that can be applied, like that it's like when things feel like um, super hard and difficult and like you have to handle them all like the minute you relax you'll have like three people coming in and they know that that's a problem too and you know ready to help and solve the problem so that's for me yeah piggybacking a little bit off of that I would say that it's that everyone has something to offer um I think one of the things I love most about theater is that anyone can do it Mm -hmm. um because we need skills and talents of all kinds. And like, if you're quiet and you don't want to talk to people, we have a job for you. And if you're loud and want attention, we have a job for you. And if you want to crunch numbers, boy, do we have a job for you. And like, you know, um, I think like anyone can do theater and we need everyone to do theater. And just know like that, that feeling that like you are needed no matter what you have to offer and we can find a place for you, like is really comforting to me in the sense that like, 
it can feel sometimes like silly, <laughs> like what we're doing, especially when we're like running around in roach costumes. But like, <laughs> maybe later we'll put it on. Oh, you. oh my gosh, I would love that. <laughs> but, but, but like, you know, in a larger sense, feeling like, no, but like what I do is, is important and is needed. Um, it's good yeah. mm-hmm. that everyone has something to offer. And if you just like look at them in the right light and be like, oh, you're really good at this. Like, you know, yeah. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Beautiful ones, you guys. Well done. (laughs) Um, What is a challenge that you're facing right now? Let's talk about you guys collectively as like a theater company. Mm. Hmm. That's a good question. Yeah. I mean, because there's definitely a lot of personal challenges that I experience, but I mean, I feel like, I guess as a company, it's sort of the same thing, I suppose. I mean, because my, like on a personal level, I think that like my biggest challenge is that I'm a young female director and no one is looking for me. Um, and, and I think that uh, that it's, it, it can be difficult when you're young and when you're a woman and especially the intersection of both of those things to like get into rooms. Um, so I would say that kind of on the, in the same vein and because, you know, of that same, same issue, sometimes um, people will look at our company at first and they won't uh, expect as much because we're, we're, we're a younger group. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. there's a, there's like this, this like initial expectation that we haven't been in the game as long or we're, you know, we, we haven't, you know, earned our, <laughs> our keep or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, and, and I think the, the funny thing is that that's always like immediately disproved um by the work we do and you know I think like over time we're 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 working past that expectation because we've built a name for ourselves but I definitely think that um there's always the challenge of um people being like oh you're good but you 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 need a couple more years but they don't mean that because of your work they just mean that like kind of cosmically that like you need a couple more years because you are young and I think it happens more to women than men Mm um uh I think that that like, uh, again, like on a personal level, level like as a director, I, I, I witness a lot of young men getting into rooms because they're prodigies and a lot of young women being told like, man, you have a lot of promise. I can't wait to see what you do in 15 years. And it's like, well, why do I have to wait 15 years? You know, like, um, you know. And well, like, I'm too old for all the parts. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so I mean, I, I, <laughs> I, I, think that, I think that it's funny because age, uh, ageism is a term that, typically applies to like, you know, older people being, you know, mistreated or look past, which is definitely true. true. Yeah. But I, but I think that like on the other end, people kind of, uh, young people in the theater are sometimes looked over and we're a young company. So I definitely think that is probably a thing that, um, is our largest challenge because, um, within our work, like we're killing it. <laughs> I'm confident with what we're doing. <laughs> Veronica, do you want to add to that? Sure. I mean, I guess something that I've been thinking about, and maybe this is more specific to me as a playwright than to us as a company, though I think about it too, is that I want to, I'm trying to figure out how to, um, to write for, for, for more actors of different bodies, identities, abilities, um, especially for plays that will be sent out for other people to do hopefully one day without making things too specific that they like won't won't try to find somebody who fits mm-hmm. things and also in ways that 
aren't me telling stories that aren't mine to tell. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So finding that balance between how do I tell stories that include that are inclusive um, without like co-opting someone else's exactly. history. Yeah. Exactly. And, and and making them like available for people to, to find all of these actors who are out there and who do want to, to play and make art, but um, are not sought out as often as they should be. Um, and then also like on a wider scale, something that I want to think about more as a company too is like accessibility in terms of our performances for abilities and for differently abled people. Um, I saw this amazing show a few years ago called uh, like Tourette's Hero Backstage in Biscuitland. And it was actually um, a, a fringe show at Edinburgh. And uh, Jess Tom, who wrote it and has Tourette's, um, brought it to LA at the Skirball. And I saw it and it was about how difficult it is to be an actor or even just a lover of theater with Tourette's and that you're not like allowed in spaces because you make noise sometimes, you know, and you have to move. And how do we make theater um, more welcoming to people with different needs? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, that brings me back to something that I actually wanted to circle back to anyway. So thank you for the opening. Um, you were talking about, um, we were talking about the, like how expensive theater is. Um, but you also mentioned that, um, it's sometimes just not welcoming for, uh, people like for people of color, for people with just different, um, abilities. Um, I had a specific question about that. Where did it go? Uh, I, well, I did have an anecdote. I did hear of a theater recently. I think they're here in San Diego that, um, they actually have a note in their program. That's like, we like it when you make noise basically. Like it, you don't have to sit here and be quiet because um, like in traditionally black uh, communities, it is a much louder response when you are enjoying things or when you are having an emotional response, which is not always accepted um, in white theater, right? In white spaces. Um, so I wonder if there's something, if there's anything that you guys are doing as a company that does make it a more welcoming environment for audience members. I mean, I would say like we, we, uh, we, we integrate clowning into like everything we do. We're like a big clowning heavy company. And I think that clowning in its nature is like a clown is so enamored with the people that they're in front of, you know? So I think that there's something about um, this, the, the relationship that we build with the audience, which kind of makes it okay. Like we, we, we get people talking in our shows all the time and responding. And, and, and we often are asked that of people, you know, um, we try not to target people because that's a thing. That's a, that's a soft spot for me. I don't like when the audience is like bullied into talking or like yeah. forced to participate, but I think we make space for our we, audience. We definitely offer an invitation to, and, and, and the sense that like, we see you and we're glad you're here. And you know, if something happens, we're going to address it and not just pretend like, nothing happened but that that sense of like we're in a room together like us specifically and like let's yeah let's enjoy that um I mm -hmm. think it's something that we try to bring to every show like yeah not quite well audience participation but in a, in a, in a gentle welcoming sense instead of like a yeah yeah bullying or targeted or forced sense. yeah which I just makes people feel like they, you know, can, we're talking right to you. So what, you know, you, you can respond if you, you know, cause you're being invited in. We, we had a, one of our shows uh, called what happened to where I've been that we did like, what was that like two years ago? What uh, ended with like a three. fictional three. Uh, <laughs> it ended with like a fictional tea party and we like went out into the audience and like served everyone, you know, invisible mm -hmm. tea like offered them things and it went on for long enough that like people were like talking for things and 
There was yeah. one performance where my grandfather demanded lemon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and everyone was happy to Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I think we do kind of make it open for people to uh, experience artwork in whatever way that. Yeah. And I think with your um, sort of leaning towards magical realism, there's so much space there too to play with all of the different senses that you can incorporate. Um, and I don't know, I, I think that there's just so much more room for us to, to be really inclusive. Um, and thank you for not forcing people into participating because that is something that like my, my husband will be like, uh, if there's audience participation, he just won't go. Like if he knows about it, he just won't go. Um, and I'm remembering one time that I had a class of, I was a theater teacher for uh, 11 years. Um, and I had a class of 50 and I went around the first day. This was like way before I had any like better training on inclusivity and, uh, different abilities. Um, but I had every student say their name. And like something that they liked or something like some little simple, like, who are you? And I had a student that was a selective mute and I did not know that. Um, And so when I got to him, I just called on him because I, it was like the second day of school or something and I hadn't gotten his paperwork yet. Um, And it was like the most terrible experience I'm sure for that kid. Mm -hmm. Um, And I still feel shitty about that to this day. Um, And so I can just imagine like how shut down he may still be about theater. And if someone had that experience in like outside of a school, which is like, I don't want to say that schools are safe spaces because they're not really. Um, But if they had that experience in like a professional show, they, and especially if it was their first one, maybe they would probably never come back. Right. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, like I, I, I come from like a family of like a lot of people who are shyer and I have like some, you know, like my best friend is not a person who like likes to be singled out. (laughs) So like whenever we're designing what we do, I always have like a very keen eye on like, what like what would make them feel included without making them feel singled out. And I think that there's, there's kind of like this like uh, selfish thing sometimes where in performers like to like force the audience to like, and, you know, like use the audience as like extended props. And I just think that's garbage. I really hate it. And I think it's, that's also just not good clowning because, you, you know, like, cause I think that a lot of clowning companies are like, yeah, like you, like you right there, tell me your name. Like everyone, fuck Kevin. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I, I just, I just don't, I just think garbage clowning and it's like mm-hmm. it's a misunderstanding of like, um, who your audience is and how you're supposed to treat them. Um, yeah. You know. It's like leaning on the easy comic choice, right? It's like yeah. potty humor or just like using profanity just because. Yeah. Um, or like yeah. that stand up thing where they're like, Hey, you're old. <laughs> it's like, I mean, yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Thanks for that conversation. <laughs> okay. So what is something that you guys do in your theatrical work as the Attic Collective? Like maybe there's a principle that you have or a piece of like your approach to your work um, that if we did it in our lives, oh, you guys are so ready for this. <laughs> hold on, hold on. You're like super excited. Um, okay. So what's something that you do in your theatrical work that if I did it in my life, my life would be better? We haven't discussed this, but I think we're on the same page. Check-ins. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what is it? Check-ins. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, we do a thing. <laughs> I knew you were gonna say. We do a thing before every rehearsal, every meeting, no matter what, um, where we all go around in a circle and we say the worst part of our day, the best part of our day, and something we're looking forward to. Um, and uh, it 
it started because it's a thing I, I, I used to work at a summer camp, um, as a, like I, as a younger person and it's a thing I used to do with my kids before they went to bed. And one day in rehearsal, I was, I just felt like it was something that could really like be used by adults. Um, and, um, I have found that it really allows people to, say what's on their mind so that it's not just like stewing in their brain, kind of share with people what they need at the group to hear and also kind of end on a positive note of like the thing that's going to get them, you know, past this. Um, and, and I know Veronica has a, yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just really beautiful to, to like say before we need to get all of this work done, like here we are as people and this is how my day was. And sometimes people's days are, are terrible and it's just good to acknowledge that and to like, know like, okay, we need to go easy on this person or like get them what they need or, or to not bring this up, not bring this <laughs> yeah. up. Or if they want to talk about it later, like check in with them again or to celebrate small successes and, you know, and, or, or big successes too. And, and just to be like before, before we are, you know, before we are working on something, before we can be productive, we need to acknowledge that we're humans and life is difficult sometimes and joyous other times. And like, this is where I'm at today. Yeah. And it's just good to be like, we're important to each other first. And then after that, let's make good work together. Yeah. And I think that if yeah. people did more of that in their normal life, because I just, I mean, like, you know, like, I've worked like a thousand different day jobs and, you know, you come in feeling shitty and you're just like instantly... Uh, here, this is what you gotta do. Yeah, you know, instantly confronted with responsibilities and uh, people's attitudes, and it's um, it is like you know, if we all had a better understanding of where we were at, <laughs> we'd be more kind to one another and ultimately do better work, which is what I think happens after that. I because agree. like there are literally days where like I mean, there's a lot of crying and check-ins. I mean, <laughs> but but I mean like that, but I but but I mean like it's like that that moment of release is mm -hmm. so huge to then be able to keep going so like take a breath and be like okay this is what we need to do or if somebody's like you know the worst part of my day is i didn't have time to get food before rehearsal and someone's like here I yeah, I'm you want. <laughs> like let's put a, you know, a cup of tea on it you know and and just taking care of our needs first and i think it, it also because it's instead of just saying hi and being like how are you doing how are you doing a million times it's, it's like it's it's practicing the thing that i love about theater there's a lot of things I love about theater, but I mean, like the, the two, okay, two things that I really, really love about theater, which are like the practice of empathy and, and listening and just being like, this is my time to say what I need to say. And everyone is listening and everyone is empathizing and now it's your turn. Mm -hmm. And I think just, just, I think that is essential to theater and starting it off just as who we are instead of what we need to be doing right now or what we need to get done makes that work so much better. And anytime I skip it because I'm running out of time, I really regret it. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and I think that like if someone cries in check-in, that means that those tears are inside them. And if you don't give them the space to like get it out, they're just going to carry that with them through the entire process. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. And then they end up like crying in the middle of a scene, and then you're like, "Oh, now we have to stop everything." And like, blah. <laughs> yeah, and I've been there. And then it's like halfway through, it's like, "I'm so sorry." It's just that my cat died, and yeah. it's like, and then you have to stop and like deal with yeah. that, and like, and then it takes forever to get back on track. Not that like I'm, I know this is making it sound like super like no hardcore, no, but <laughs> it's not. That's not the ideal moment for empathy. Is not when you're deep in the thick of like right. work. The ideal moment for empathy is like before you start. You when know. To, to, 
care to care yeah. and, and to sit and be with that yeah yeah instead of having yeah. like an ulterior motive of like okay but we need to like <laughs> sorry about your cat but <laughs> yeah I know right oh man that's super oh. sad okay so <laughs> what happened am I here am I freezing okay, no you're back. Back. <laughs> okay I'm back I'm back oh oh gosh hold on no I'm a disaster I'm not a disaster no no you're not what is going on? Okay. My, like the little squishy part of my earphone just came out in my ear, but I'm good. I'm good. I caught it out. It's okay. We're good. Um, so yeah. So dealing with the things before you're in the thick, do you guys do a check out as well at the end of rehearsal? No, we don't. Okay. Interesting idea. Um, I, I never really thought of, I mean, I guess we do an informal one in the sense that like no one ever leaves for like 10 minutes, you know, like, uh, but but I mean, that's an interesting idea. I've never yeah. actually thought of doing that. Yeah, maybe different questions more related to how we're so one for you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's yeah. a good idea. Mm. Yeah, thanks. Um, I worked with a, a company, um, Shakespeare and Company in Massachusetts in the Berkshires, um, which is actually where I've done all of my like fool work, which is like bringing it full circle. Um, they do a check-in that's much shorter than I think yours is. It's just mm-hmm. like, how do you feel? Which is just tapping into like and naming the emotion, which again is a practice of like, building emotional intelligence, building empathy. Um, but then we also did a check out, which was a little different every day, but often it was just like one word that wraps up, like what is one thing you're taking with you after this day? Um, something really simple. So it doesn't have to be like an extended anything, but I think that a checkout is also just a really fun, like closure, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great idea. Yeah. Okay. Rosie and Veronica, should theater be accessible curriculum to everyone universally? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Why? (laughs) Um, well, so, so, so I think the first part of it is perhaps obvious or it should be, I think, which is just that, um, uh, the reason you do things in school isn't because you're going to do them forever. It's because they're like um, fundamental little nuggets of information that are going to help you in your life. Like I'm not a, you know, biologist, but I took biology. You know what I mean? And, and I, and I think that um, there's, there's the, the things that I can pull that I, you know, that I benefit from, you know, having studied history, having studied math, even though I didn't go into those fields, um, you can find those same things for theater. I mean, I think that that's just obvious. Like, I mean, how many times have you met someone who's like a big, you know, big CEO pants, walks in the room in charge of everything, but can't talk to people, can't, you know, is bad at listening, um, can't read the room. Shuffles his feet. Oh, that tries to be crazy. <laughs> <laughs> like, doesn't, you know, doesn't know how to give a presentation. And it's like, uh, those aren't, those aren't stupid, invaluable skills. Those are super valuable skills. And, um, you know, like, again, I mean, I was mentioning earlier, like, you know, the way that you're sometimes treated in day jobs, you know, like, you know, by this like unempathetic boss who's not listening and like doesn't understand the way, you know, usually his words affect, um, the people around usually him. Um, and, and like, I think that in those instances, I'm like, man, if you had, you know, any training, like even in the conversation that we just had and, and empathy in listening, 
um, and being tapped into the other people, being aware of, you know, an awareness of like who's here and where they are and what they're doing. I think it would make a huge difference in the interpersonal relationships of like tons of people who never go into theater. Down to being like grateful for the person who swept the stage. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, because that's another huge thing is that like theater teaches uh, hopefully, some, you know, not always. There's some there's some bad theater programs out there that don't do this, but hopefully, theater teaches appreciation for every single person. You know, there should be a culture in good theater of like knowing the name of every person who's working on what you're mm-hmm. doing. You know, down to the person who sweeps the stage. Yeah. Um, so there's that, and then I guess, and then I guess the other thing for me, which is a little, which is a little bit more um, kind of like something we've talked about already, but I just feel like the other thing about teaching theater curriculum. Um, as a as a standard uh, is that it would kind of foster in people this idea that theater is for them and that theater isn't an elite activity and that oh well, theater I know theater you know because it's like a lot of people we meet all the time who come to our shows who are like very excited to get them back into theater their only frame of reference is like oh we got forced to watch a production of you know Romeo and Juliet once in seventh grade and you know it was lofty and inaccessible and I never did it again Mm -hmm. you know what I mean and then that's their like one touchstone for like what theater is so I think it would also and I I believe that theater enriches people's lives and I believe that people should continue to watch theater till the day they die and hopefully on the day they die um so I feel like so so I feel like um fostering that relationship with this art form young would keep people invested in it Mm -hmm. I agree with everything you said. I also want to, like, I guess I'm going to go a little more woo-woo, but uh, I think something that's really important about theater, aside from, like, all of the marketable skills, is um, the idea of collective imagination and Mm -hmm. the sense that, like, like kind of, like, circling back around to what I was saying about, you know, everyone having something to contribute, um, but everyone having something to contribute in the service of, like, a story that we all agree should be told. And that we would like people to listen to, mm-hmm. and um, and just knowing that you you can you do have something to contribute, and just building something together. Like I don't know of like anything else like theater where we're all like, here's this thing that doesn't exist that like will go away in a matter of weeks, but we agree that it's worth building, and like let's build it together um, using our own skills, and and that requires listening to each other, and that uh, like requires agreeing on certain things as well as like coordination and like cooperation and, and, and compromise. But um, this, this sense that like we all agree that this one thing is, is worth telling and is worth listening to, I think is, is hugely valuable. And yeah, I mean, if this world had a little bit more listening and empathy and like the idea that we should be in a room together and spend time together and make something like with our hands and with our bodies and, um, and like listen to each other and enjoy each other's presence. I mean, I think that's insanely valuable. Um, yeah. Awesome. All right, you guys, here is your opportunity to plant a seed in the hearts, minds, spirits, or all three of everyone who's listening to this podcast. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> um, mine is going to be wordy because I am incapable of not being wordy, but I'm going to try. Um, uh, <laughs> Uh, find your team, I guess, Um, because I think that uh, 
there's a there's an obsession with ladder climbing in our culture um, of like look look for the next best thing, you know, be talking to this person while you're looking across the room at the real person you want to talk to, um, and there's always someone bigger and better out there, and you're going to one day get to the bigger and better people, and I just don't think that's true. I think that um, there's so much value in fostering relationships, um, and you know, I mean. I'm biased because I graduated from college and moved to LA and really, really like full flung, uh, clung and helped support the people who I knew and, you know, built more relationships that way. But I think that investing in the relationships you have and like following your talented friends and building them up and letting them build you up is like, I mean, in theater to me, um, just the, world's greatest thing and I think in life also the world's greatest thing is you know being like you're my person and I'm yours unromantically mm-hmm. <laughs> and sometimes romantically I mean sometimes romantically know, but it happens <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Veronica um for me I would say don't forget to play mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of us I mean, in the hustle and trying to make money and, and theater is time consuming and um, takes a lot out of you. And, uh, but I'd say that it's good to sometimes separate process from product and remember to play without anything, without any end goal in mind. Um, and just remembering, or I don't know, I just remember being a kid and like discovering theater and being like, I'm going to like check out these plays from the library. Who wants to meet me in the park? Like, let's read them all, you know? <laughs> and, you know, or just like discovering improv games and being like, this is the coolest thing, you know? And, and now it's like, everyone's like, well, did you take that class? And you can put it on your resume and did you like all of this stuff. But I think circling back to like, what made you as a person excited about it, regardless of end goal, um, but like what is exciting about the play of it and, and the fun and the discovery. And um, particularly when you, it's not for a product, it's not for a, a production, but like just, you know, leaning into the fun and the joy of it um, and remembering that like above all, it should be, it should be fun. Absolutely. Okay, Rosie and Veronica, thank you so much for your time today, for sharing your experience and your energy. If someone who's listening today wants to go see a show, maybe they want to hire you, they want to like just get to know you because they think you're really cool. What is the best way to reach out or follow what you're doing? Um, You can follow (laughs) our our collective at theatticcollectivela.com. That's our website and we've got an email address and you can um, reach us through there. You can also follow our Instagram, which is the Attic Collective underscore LA, mm-hmm. which is the mm-hmm. um, On a personal level, level uh, you can follow me on Instagram, which is ring around row underscore Z. Maybe <laughs> I'll, I'll put it all, it'll all go in the show notes. So yeah. if you're listening, just like tap on the show notes and all of this will be linked. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. It's perfect. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. I love the conversation that we had there. I think we sparked some really, um, or you guys sparked for me some really interesting like thoughts and pathways that I want to continue following. Um, so thank you for that. And thank you for the honest conversation. Thank you for letting me push back a little bit too. I appreciate oh. that. <laughs> yeah, we prefer it. We <laughs> Great. Well, maybe we should like meet up together and like have a fist fight. Don't do that. That's not actually nice. <laughs> <laughs>
Okay. Thank you guys. Thank you for having awesome day. And best of luck at the French festival too. Thank you. Thank Come see the last person in June. <laughs> <laughs> Bye guys. That is all for today. A special shout out too to Joey, who was helping to record on Veronica and Rosie's end of this conversation. I forgot to introduce him at the beginning of the episode. If you want to chat about what you've heard, learn about upcoming episodes before they drop, or simply say hello, follow Find Your Light Podcast on Twitter and Instagram at FYL Podcast, or on Facebook at Find Your Light Podcast, or send me an email anytime to podcast at Emily's damits.com. Take a second right now to hit that subscribe button and tell your friends how awesome you think this podcast is so they can subscribe too. If you or someone you know would make a great guest, we are especially looking for women of color and people with disabilities. Email the Find Your Light team, which is of course comprised of me and my cat. You can reach us anytime at podcast at emilystamets.com. If you'd like to share your thoughts and stories on the podcast, you can leave me a message at 858 858- three, 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 seven, seven, one, three, which spells absolutely nothing or email an audio file to podcast at emilystamets.com until next time stand confidently center stage and enjoy your show.